Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Hammer and Nigel. Can you believe these characters are weirdos? So let's rock! Yeah, actor Alec Baldwin has been indicted again on charges of involuntary manslaughter. He was charged about January, around this time last year, he was charged with manslaughter. They had to drop it. And apparently there's new evidence. They took, they put the gun in forensics. This, of course, is, uh, you know, the set of rust. He was filming a movie when he was handed a gun that they were using in the scene. The gun apparently had a real bullet in it and uh, killed the cinematographer and injured, I believe, the director. Now, there's a couple different people that are at fault for this, Yeah, right? the armorer is the one that loaded the <laughs> the gun they were using in the movie scene. Right. They were supposed to be dummies, obviously, and somehow a, a real bullet got in there. The armorer is a person in the movie whose sole job is to make sure that the weapon is not shooting real ammunition, right? So that person dropped the ball. But Alec Baldwin certainly didn't do himself any favors by being very defiant in interviews. Well, he was. But he played the victim. Right. I didn't pull the trigger. Well, the new the new forensics and the new evidence says, yeah, that was what happened. You mean the gun didn't magically float up in the air <laughs> and shoot Helena Hutchins? Because I've been told by certain groups, gun advocacy groups, that that's how it happens. It's never a negligent bad guy. It's just the weapon's fault, right? So, voluntary manslaughter... 18 months in prison is what he's facing. Does he do a day in jail? No. He will not do a day in jail. He killed someone. But yet, if you were just around the Capitol on January 6th, if you stopped by and took a picture, maybe a selfie, just walking by. You're still in the hole right now as we speak. (laughs) And again, I've said this once. I've said it a million times. I will say it again. To this day... Alec Baldwin has killed more people than anybody that stormed into the Capitol that day. That's a fact. They finished filming that movie. Like after every, you know, you know, Baldwin went back to the set. They finished the film. It's ready. It's done. It's just looking for distribution. Isn't that weird? Don't you think they would have just the the company would just want to shut it down? Two people, one dies, one uh, another seriously injured on the set, and Alec Baldwin still goes back to finish the film. Doesn't you find that bizarre at all? And it was kind of a low budget movie anyway. We're not talking about some Hollywood blockbuster where they're going to finish it. Now, the only way I think I would be okay with that is if the family of Helena Hutchins, who was the young lady that was shot and killed, Mm. said, hey, to honor uh, her wishes, I want you to finish this movie. Well, they did get a piece of that. They settled with Alec Baldwin in wrongful death lawsuit. Part of the lawsuit, I believe, is that they get a piece of the movie. Okay. So, there's a reason why they would like this project to finish up. Yeah, the widow, and I believe uh, she had a nine-year-old at the time. Really, really, really horrible, sad and uh, I just, yeah, I think um, <laughs> probably, even though it was an accident, I don't believe he intentionally killed anybody. That's what involuntary manslaughter is. It's like it's accidental death, but it involves negligence. Right. 100%. Now, since we're on the subject of court-related matters, uh, late in our program yesterday, the Indiana Supreme Court 
came down with their decisions in regards to the Delphi case. Because yesterday, the current defense team for the suspect, Richard Allen, they went to the Indiana Supreme Court. They wanted three things done. They wanted the original defense team to come back because the judge, Fran Gull, kicked them off for being negligent. So that was one thing they wanted. They also wanted the court to quickly get this trial underway. They wanted it to be done uh, or started anyway within 70 days. And they also wanted the judge, Fran Gull, removed from the trial. So the defense was asking for three things. They got one thing. The original defense team is now allowed to come back and work with Richard Allen in this trial. This is what the uh, decision from the Indiana Supreme Court read, quote, having considered the written submissions and having heard the arguments of the counsel, a majority of the court votes to grant the petition for the realtor's request to reinstate attorneys Baldwin and Rossi as his court appointed counsel the court unanimously denies all other relief sought. But what they wanted, they got, basically. The big thing. Yeah, right. Richard Allen got his attorneys back. Which, okay, wish granted, you got these morons back that uh, apparently can't keep control of evidence in their own facility. But if that's what you want, go ahead. The judge will remain on the trial, and uh, they don't get to dictate how soon or how late the trial starts. But you're right. They got the big thing that they wanted, the original defense team. Now, I will say this. If I'm the original defense team, if I'm Baldwin and Rossi, day one of that trial, I walk through those doors, I look up at Fran Gull as the judge, and I'm acting like Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor at that point. That's right. That's right. We bad. Uh-huh. That's right. We don't want no shit either. That's right. Darn right. I mean, don't you kind of got to feel that way? Yeah, because there's some bad blood here between the lawyers and the judge, and the judge just lost a big one. Now, I I want the trial to happen. I mean, we've got to, like I keep on telling, I keep on saying, keep Richard Allen healthy, uh, get all the T's crossed, the I's dotted, and make your case, prosecution, because these guys are going to have some tricks up their sleeve. Right. And the families deserve everything out there. Could you imagine being the parents of these poor girls? The families deserve (sighs) a perfect trial. And what I mean by that is all the evidence out there. If this guy wants these attorneys, he should have them. If the prosecution wants to do this or that, as long as it's legal, let's do it. Everything should be on the table so this trial is right. You don't want a show trial. You don't want shenanigans because I've got a bad feeling that's kind of what the defense team wants because this is going to be televised. And I think the defense team is wanting to make this just a complete circus, just chaos. It's up to the prosecution. And that puts a lot of pressure on the judge to keep order in the court. Uh, Nige, did you have a two-hour delay this morning? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Really? Two-hour delay for school. Yeah, kids. Um, Nothing again for us, man. What, did you get all the snow that we did in Boone County? We got some snow. I don't know if we got Boone County snow, but it was about an inch and a half, maybe. I think we had a couple. Maybe two. A couple inches. And I, you know, again, my wife's out of town, so it was just me and the kids. And I, I woke up at about 5.30 praying that when I looked at my phone, there would be a two-hour delay so I could go back to bed. And boy... 
there was that text from Zionsville oh, Middle School. Look at you. And I went back to bed for two hours. Connor got up and played Fortnite. Harper was on the <laughs> Harper was on her iPad, and uh, it was. I think school should really start a little bit later. Seven thirty is pretty damn early. It is. But Our parents, kids. Parents got to go to work, I know. I get the whole thing. Right. And, you know, it's different times for different schools. Like, we don't have to yep. be at school, like at the high school, Beach Grove High School, until almost nine. Really? Yeah. So, but they go a little longer. I'm sure your kids get out a little yeah. earlier. Yeah. And we're talking middle yeah, school yeah. versus high school and things like that. But in Boone County, how were the roads? Mm. Not, not, <laughs> That's not a ringing endorsement. I mean, right the roads, there. even. Um, from Zionsville to get on to 465 to 65 was bad. I mean, I, I was they were drivable. I was going 55 miles an hour. And not everybody has a truck, I realized that. 65 southbound was okay. It was fine, pretty much. But 465 on the west side, not very good. Now, the last time we had a large amount of snow... I think maybe Jerry Lopez was filling in for you that day. We had talked about how I thought the roads were actually really good here in Indy. And I was surprised because Boss Hogsett's already won the election. You know, what the hell does he care anymore? It's not an election year. Let the damn things freeze up for all he cares. <laughs> but they were actually really good the last time around. This morning, now I get it. It happened at rush hour, which is a horse of a different color. But it was a little rough. I mean, there were some definite slick spots. There's a roundabout in Beach Grove that when you went around it today, it's like you were racing on a dirt track somewhere <laughs> in Eldora. Like you were sliding and slipping and... <laughs> It was kind of fun, actually. I'm not going to lie. Uh, so, hopefully, you had a yeah. very careful commute this morning. And now that the snow has moved out, the extreme cold Wonderful. is coming back. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Jump in, jump in, jump in. You're listening to the Hammer and Nigel Show. Hello, my name is Nigel. Hammer's right over there with a special guest on the hotline. Not only is he the host of the world's greatest post-game show, People Magazine named him the sexiest man alive oh. in 2005. Eddie White from the Pacers <laughs> joins us. Eddie, how are you? No, I think it was 1941, and there wasn't even a People <laughs> Magazine, but that's okay. Hey, I've been doing the research. I looked up this Pascal Siakam. It is Cameroonian for, uh, I don't know if that's a word, for Hammer and Nigel. How about it is. That? That's, wow. That's not fake news. Not fake news. They tell me <laughs> it's true. So that's what I'm going with. How you guys doing? Man, we're doing good. And look, I know I probably differ from you on this opinion, Eddie. I love these late night Pacer games because I'm somebody that doesn't get home from work until like 7.30. So by the time I get something to eat, relax a little bit, the game's coming on. And a 10 o'clock start last night, Pacers at Sacramento, shorthanded Pacers team. But that was such a fun game to watch last night. You get to my age, I don't care if we play at noon or at midnight. I don't care. As long as I'm around to watch it and talk about it, I'm happy. But, you know, yeah, last night, the only thing is I wish, like, a lot of people have to get to work so they go to bed or they probably missed it and got up this morning couldn't believe that we wanted it, especially when I heard how shorthanded we were. But uh, but it was remarkable. And it's kind of funny. You know, when the trade was made, now you see the fallout of 48 hours, whether it's Charles Barkley or anybody else, you know, talking about it. It's like we become – 
we, we, Indiana, the Pacers, we become the talk of the freaking NBA. And it's like when you hear these guys who played the game, coached the game, are going, hey, you know, this is like maybe the greatest offense the NBA has ever seen, and it's just gotten better. Holy smokes. And I love when stuff happens, like, organically. It just It's like, you know, it, you know like, look, look, look at the Dallas Cowboys, right? They've been good the last couple of years. They had a great regular season. Well, they're expected to be good. They didn't make the Super Bowl, so everybody's losing their minds. When you win, maybe, or win faster than what you're supposed to, people get really excited. And I go back to that play-in game we had against Boston in our building. That was a playoff atmosphere. That's why it's so important for us to finish maybe that top four. That means more home playoff games at Gamebridge, and it is the toughest place to play because you know our people, our fans go nuts when something's on the line. So uh, yeah, I'm as excited as you are. Whether it was uh, one o'clock this morning or three o'clock in the afternoon. So let's talk a little bit about the trade. Um, what type of player is Pascal Siakam, and how is he going to vibe with Tyrese Halliburton when he comes back? I'm gonna. This might be the shortest answer I've ever given you. Uh, his general manager and coach, uh, uh, one of them said he's the type of guy. He's the first guy at practice, and he's the last guy to leave. That's it. Do I need to say anything else to anybody from the great state of Indiana? That's what we want. And then you add. He's very talented. He's a two-time All-Star, two-time All-NBA, and that kid's coming here with that work ethic, with the kids that we have now. You saw it last night. We didn't have Halliburton. We didn't have Siakam. We didn't have Nemhart. We didn't have, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Neesmith. Uh, Neesmith. Uh, Isaiah Jackson left. And, you know, and, and because they, they're not here on the roster, but we didn't have Wara and Bruce Brown. I mean, you know, they weren't there. They're, they're, they, would, they would have been there if we didn't make the trade. That's a lot of guys. And what happened? You had guys step up. TJ, holy smokes, a double-double. Benedict goes for 25. And then Walker to have 15. I mean, so it shows you have the depth. You have the work ethic. We've seen it all year. They're very unselfish. Kevin Pritchard said it a year ago, and I give him a lot of credit. He said there's something about this locker room that I've never, ever experienced. I've been around a lot of locker rooms. When I worked at Notre Dame with the Dolphins, I was at Reebok when I worked with every team. This locker room is so tight and so united, and now you're adding a kid with great talent who their people up in Toronto say he's the first one in and the last one to leave. You've got to be kidding me. This, it's almost like I don't – if this is a dream – don't wake me up. <laughs> you mentioned T.J. McConnell earlier. And, like, if you've watched a lot of high school basketball in Indiana or if you've played, either you were, you know, or you've seen that Jim Rat kid from Indiana that just runs around, slaps the floor on defense. He's a pain in the ass on, you know, the court. He's always hustling. I think T.J. McConnell is like the professional NBA version of that Jim Rat kid. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And if you're a parent, if you're a mom or dad and you have a kid who's high school coach or JV coach or, or club coach is telling them, hey, you're not fast enough, you're not tall enough, you're not big enough, go, go play golf. Have them watch T.J. McConnell. You develop that work ethic. And here's the beauty of T.J. And, and Hammer, you go to the game, you've seen it. He may go two or three games and never leave that bench playing. Now, he's always up cheering with the towel, and he's the first guy to encourage guys who may make a turnover and stuff like that. But he's a true professional. He will sit there for three straight games and not play. And all of a sudden, we play the fourth game, and the guy's in foul trouble, and he comes off the bench, immediately gets a, gets a basket or an assist. And then how many times have we seen him double back and make that steal, surprising somebody? 
tell the youngsters, watch him. You Whether you have great talent or you're like me and you guys with zero talent, watch <laughs> him. If you can develop that work ethic and that energy and that true professionalism, you know what? You may go farther than even think you can go. One last thing, Eddie White here on the yeah. Hammer and Nigel Show. What kind of vibe is this city going to have about a month from now for the All-Star Game? Have you seen the Indianapolis International Airport in this giant basketball court that they put in the uh, the, the main area there? It's crazy. Unbelievable. Only Indiana. Yes. We, we always say 49 states, it's just basketball, but this is Indiana. Only Indiana can make traveling a good thing in basketball. It is unbelievable. It looks fantastic. It's like every day the committee is announcing something. I encourage people, if they haven't done it already, go to www.pacers.com slash all-star. It's it constantly, every day, they're adding new things going on. It's going to be arts. It's going to be culture. There's going to be parties. It's going to be fun. I encourage people to go check out the crossover. I've been to many of those over the years going to All-Star. It's a lot of fun. It's just going to be another feather in the cap for our city that does things. I've told you guys this. We've talked about it a million times. I worked 26 Super Bowls. I've talked to the late John Clayton and Peter King and all these guys who've been to 30, 40, 50 Super Bowls. They always say, Pasadena might have been prettier. New Orleans might have been more partier, but the best setting for a Super Bowl was Indianapolis, freaking Indiana. And guess what? When they leave here at the end of February, they're going to say, you know what? The best all-star game the NBA has ever had was in freaking Indianapolis, Indiana. Nobody does it better than we do. Have you Nobody. have you eaten at the new uh, steakhouse yet? Or, no, uh, no, I mean, it's no, not... no, no, no. They had, like, they had a couple of VIP uh, uh, fancy schmancy what? things. And you weren't there? I, I, no, I'm not a VIP. How VIP I, could like, it be if Eddie White wasn't there? I'm kidding. There? You know, it's, it's, it's for the youngsters. They, they do that. I'll eventually get in there. I like to find the back doors. You know, I like to come in the back door and leave to the back door. But it, 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 it's such a it's another great addition to that area. And I'm still nuts over that uh, the Bicentennial Unity Plaza, whether, whether the ice is up or not. Well, the stuff that's going to go on there over the years for everybody to enjoy, for everybody in the community to enjoy. It's just, uh, you know, we're back. And, and this, this, listen, this event, this is going to be a shot in the arm of downtown. It's going to be unbelievable. I just can't wait. It's going to be unbelievable. Be, Real quick, got about 30 seconds huge. left here, Eddie, about 30 seconds left. Halliburton, yes. Halliburton playing tonight. Do we know? Oh, I have no idea. You think they run that stuff by me? No, I'll know when you know. No. But you know what? Here's the thing. I can't wait till next Tuesday because you hope by then Halliburton will be ready and then Pasco Siaka makes his Indiana debut against the world champions. And here's the thing. We may come off this road trip with a winning record and we come back next week, right? We got a whole bunch of home games, Denver, Philly, Phoenix, and Memphis. If we go 3-1 and one or 4-0, and oh, I may start thinking, you know what? Maybe number four is uh, too low a bar to go. Let's go. Let's win the whole darn thing. What's Love that? it. Love it. Pacers and Blazers tonight. That's a 10 o'clock tip. You can hear it on our sister station, 107.5 The Fan. Eddie White will be on the postgame show. Eddie, we appreciate it, brother. Love you guys. Be good. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. Show. Oh, yeah. Happy Friday, everybody. My name is Nigel. That's Hammer over there with a special guest on the hotline. Tommy Piggott is the strategic communications director. You can see some of his work on the popular Twitter handle at RNC Research. Tommy, Iowa in the rearview mirror. New Hampshire dead ahead. Let's start with Iowa. What was your takeaway from the Iowa caucuses? Well, I think the big takeaway was that we had over 100,000 Iowans coming out in the bitter cold, 
the worst winter conditions in, in a very long time to come out and caucus and to really show their excitement for getting rid of Joe Biden for electing a Republican in November. And I, I think the contrast, and I think we discussed a bit last week, too, between Republicans being on the ground in Iowa and really listening to voters versus Joe Biden, who has basically been MIA. He's been MIA his whole presidency, but especially the last, call it 30 days plus, he's been on vacation and barely had any public events. And I think it kind of shows that Republicans are the ones that are actually listening and care about solving problems. And Joe Biden can't hide enough. He, he just wants to hide and be on vacation. You know, the thing that continually, I, like, I'm always surprised by this. I don't know why I should be used to this by now, but like the, the left-wing corporate media's reaction to Donald Trump winning the Iowa caucus and his um, victory speech and how Rachel Maddow from MSNBC cuts right into it and says, you know what? We're not going to let you see this because uh, he doesn't tell the truth. He, Rachel Maddow it, said Rachel that. Maddow said that. <laughs> we're, we're, we're not going to provide a platform for this guy that sits here. And these are the same people that were shoving Russian collusion down our throat, you know, for years. Yeah, I mean, it would be a joke if it wasn't just so uh, absurd. And so, I mean, every single time you expect this from the mainstream media, but they never fail to to go below the already low bar that we have set for them here. I mean, it's you, you mentioned the Russian collusion hoax. There's so many issues where that's the case. I think what was especially compelling is when they cut away from President Trump, it was on the border. And they acted yes. like he was saying things that wasn't true about yes. the border, which is absurd given the fact that the Democrats and the mainstream media repeat Joe Biden's lies about the border repeatedly. They repeated the fact that they thought that this was seasonal at the border. They repeated the fact that – not the fact, excuse me. They repeated the lie that this, this is seasonal at the border. They repeated the lie that – the crisis is under control. The mainstream media has been covering for Biden on this issue repeatedly. Biden himself, who smears Border Patrol agents, Biden, who in his administration, who just the other day was smearing Texas DPS agents, accusing them of allowing migrants to die when uh, we weren't even aware that was happening until after that de those deaths unfortunately already happened. And not to mention the fact that the best way to save life at the border is to secure the border and stop these illegal crossings in the first place. There are so many smears and lies coming out of this Biden administration that the mainstream media is repeating as if they are facts. Uh, so for them to try to lecture anyone when it comes to the border on disinformation it is absurd, and they need to look in the mirror on that one. And the thing is, Donald Trump's speech was actually yes. very mild. Yeah, it was, this wasn't flame-throwing Donald Trump. It was like, conciliatory, yeah. Right. He was thanking his fellow competitors, had nice things to say about Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis, uh, was uplifting, you know, by Donald Trump standards. But yet, if you watch the reaction from Rachel Maddow and Jake Tapper, you would have thought Donald Trump was up there just doing his, you know, Eddie Murphy raw act. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think it goes to show that, you know, when it comes to this general election, uh, if it wasn't already known to be the case, this is, a, this is another indicator that the mainstream media doesn't do every single thing they can yes. to try to elect Joe Biden. I mean, that's just what they're going to do. Uh, and, and the worst thing for the media is people judging events for themselves. When it comes to the decision between Republicans and Democrats, the bias in the media, the way they support Democrats, is basically trying to hide the truth from the American public. That's why they're censoring it. That's why social media is such a threat to the mainstream media. Because the best way that they can try to shape this narrative is to try to see, try to prevent people from seeing the facts on the ground. That's why they're not showing these speeches. That's why there's not nearly as much coverage on the border except for a few networks like Fox News, because they have to ignore it as much as possible in order to defend Joe Biden. But unfortunately for them, there is that social media. There are other networks that are saying the truth. 
Uh, but that's why the, the approval rating in the trust of the mainstream media is at such a low, because they're just driven by their bias, not by the news. Tommy Pickett is our guest. He is the Strategic Communications Director uh, for the RNC. So let's move forward to New Hampshire. Uh, we've got a primary coming up on Tuesday. You're starting to see a little trash talk here between the candidates. And I know all is fair between love and politics. I get it. It's a competition. But from a party standpoint, from inside those walls at the RNC, what do you think when you see Donald Trump ripping Nikki Haley? Nikki Haley ripping Donald Trump. Haley against DeSantis, you know, back and forth on social media. What is the thought process when you see a lot of infighting taking place? Well, our first thought process, or my first thought process, is Joe Biden couldn't compete with that. I mean, Joe Biden would have no idea what was going on because Joe Biden is completely MIA. He's completely spaced out. But I think that the second part of this is there's going to be debates and primaries. There's going to be challenges. Candidates are going to make their best case to voters. That's part of that process. That's part of what happens in a primary. Our focus at the RNC is beating Joe Biden. That's where our focus is 24-7. We are building that infrastructure right now to beat Joe Biden. So whoever that Republican nominee is, they can take that road that we build right now and take it straight to the White House. Whether that's through our Bank Your Vote campaign, our election integrity campaign, volunteers on the ground, uh, the list goes on and on and on. And that's where our focus is 100%. Once we have that nominee, we need to come together. Because what unites us is far more than what divides us, especially when compared to the Democrats. We need to come together. But our focus right now is straight on Joe Biden, making sure that Joe Biden loses in November and that a Republican is elected. Yeah, you said it. Right there. I mean, you said the Democrats are the ones that are divisive. I'm wondering what you think of Biden's quote unquote campaign so far. He released a statement after the Iowa caucuses saying that it uh, looks like it's going to be Trump and extreme MAGA Republicans, a bunch of extremists again. Um, is that the strategy for the Biden campaign is to shame voters, independents, maybe somebody that voted for Trump last time, voted for Biden uh, in 2020? Is that the strategy to maybe shame them and talk about January 6th and and, and all those kinds of things? Yeah, the strategy is clearly just to smear people. It's yes. just to divide people, make people scared. That's the strategy from Joe Biden. And it's clear from the speeches that he gets. I mean, he, he goes out there and he says outlandish things. Just, just think about pro-life Americans. Today is the March for Life. You know, you can, have a, you can have a difference of opinion on abortion. The Republican Party is a pro-life party, a pro-family party, a pro-mother party. But to go out there and for Joe Biden to claim that pro-life Americans are somehow these completely far right, uh, outside the norms of politics and destructive to our country, it's such an outlandish smear against those voters. But it's part and parcel what he's doing to parents that are concerned at school board meetings, people that are concerned about the border, people that want to make sure that their schools aren't closed down in order to, ha- uh, to house illegal immigrants like just happened in New York. I mean, there are so many examples of Joe Biden smearing his opponents. That's his strategy from a messaging standpoint. His strategy from a campaigning standpoint is to hide as much as possible. I mean, his events since the Iowa caucuses have been basically to show up for about five minutes, take barely any questions. Most of the questions are on top of what type of ice cream flavor he's had. Uh, One event he went to (laughs) in Pennsylvania is he was basically like sneaking around a library, it seemed like, like jumping out at people. I mean, there's so many videos that people would be like, who is this guy? Which would be frightening as hell, by the way. Imagine being at the library and Joe Biden pops out of a corner somewhere. (laughs) Yeah, there's actually like, there's a video and it shows uh, Joe Biden being asked questions. And he's leaning, looking at a bookshelf for some reason. And this girl who's just sitting at the table in front of him looks at him like, in the shock. She's oh, like, oh, my gosh. What's yeah. that? You know, that, that is his campaign right now is to uh, just basically go to these weird sort of campaign stops. And I think the idea is to show that, you know, he's with it, I guess, or that he's good at retail politics. 
Uh, but he's not. That's the big problem. He's terrible at real tail politics. He's not with it. Uh, and, and, you know, his speeches keep on bombing. So his campaign strategy, I think, is going to be hiding as much as possible, while his messaging strategy is to get everyone out there and attacking as many people as possible. Tommy, we got about a minute left here. Uh, just the other day, Corrine Jean-Pierre says that the Republicans were the ones that are causing the problems at the border, and the Republicans voted to reduce the number of Border Patrol agents. I want to get your thoughts on that. Again, another absurd statement. I mean, it just flies in the face of the facts. Washington Post has already fact-checked that, gave it three Pinocchios in the Washington Post on that exact statement. But you have Republicans that have voted to increase Border Patrol agents by 2,000 in this last appropriations bill. You had Senate Republicans calling to increase Border Patrol agents instead of hiring IRS agents back last year, two years ago, rather. And so you have all these examples of Republicans trying to pass border security measures. You had a massive House pass border security measure passed 253 days ago called the Secure the Border Act. If Joe Biden wanted to end this crisis, he would stop locking that. He could end this crisis today, but he's not. So for the administration to go out there and blame Republicans for this border crisis, it's such a lie, and it's a lie that the American people aren't buying. Tommy Pickett, Strategic Communications Director for the RNC. Check out some of his work on Twitter, at RNC Research. Tommy, have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you next Friday. Hey, thanks for having me on. Have a good weekend. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. Hammer, great news. If you would like to have 52 date nights at Applebee's this year. Hell yeah! This is an exciting deal for you. They're selling what they call a date night pass for 200 bucks. So that means... They offer $30 off your next 52 visits over the next year. You need to go at least seven times to break even, but it could be worth like $1,300 in savings. A dating pass from Applebee's. Are you okay with this? <laughs> yes, I am, but there are some rules. What's you ha- can only go once a week. You can't just, you know, take a week off of work and just go every single day and just, you know, do your thing. You've got to go at least once a week. And it's only 30 bucks. Yeah, now, and there's no booze not included. Booze is not included. Fatties like me order 30 bucks of food <laughs> by themselves, right? And Apple's, Applebee's is probably hoping that you'll spend a little bit more while you're there. So if you're into that kind of thing, check it out from yeah. Applebee's, yeah. which brings I'll us pass. to great moments in Applebee's history. I do love some Applebee's, and I've often thought about getting thrown out of one like Ricky Bobby's <laughs> pot-dealing daddy, Reese Bobby. I hate to be a pain, darling, but uh, I asked for no onions on my bourbon steak. Oh, I am so sorry. I thought you asked okay, for okay. onions. Maybe on. don't interrupt me. <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to. Yeah, well, I think you did mean to, and I also think that you meant to put the damn onions <laughs> on my steak. Okay, Reese. I'm a veteran! Dad! I'm a diabetic! <laughs> It's an Applebee's history. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hammer and Nigel. Can you believe these characters are weirdos? So let's rock it! We got a lot going on. It is Beer Sample Friday. We're going to get to that in just a little bit. May already be sampling. Here in just a few minutes, the Attorney General, Todd Rakita, will join us in studio. All of that is coming up. But first, Nige, let's break down and check in 
with crack-smoking, gun-toting, dead brother widow-poking Hunter Biden. You smoke crack, don't you? Don't smoke crack. Then the next time you get in trouble, call a crackhead. Mark your calendar, Nige. <laughs> okay. February 28th. That's when Hunter Biden's going to make his way over to the Capitol for the big uh, closed-door deposition with James Comer and your favorite TV pals. Yeah. And are we going to learn anything? Do you think there's anything's going to come from this? You're asking I mean, me if I have faith in an investigation to get done? No, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Now, this is going to be the behind-closed-door deal. This is what Comer had been asking for for a long time. But just because it's behind closed doors doesn't mean that it's not going to be recorded. So there could be some snippets of video that oh, I don't know, get leaked out. Wink, wink. Why, why didn't this? they just do this the first time? It seems like the Republicans may have mucked it up a little bit the first time because they made the same request the first time, but Comer also said, now nah, we want him in public. You know, and well, he gave him no, the choice. Gave him, yeah, yes, yes. He gave him yeah. the choice. And Hunter like, defied it, the subpoena the first time around, but it sounds like some illegal stuff was about to get in the yeah, way there. Whatever. Here's James Comer talking about half-ass going through the motions. You have a deposition. The committee votes to release the transcripts. After the January 6th committee, the depositions were filmed. So this deposition will be filmed. This will be testifying in public but not in a chaotic scene where the Democrats who have already demonstrated they can't uh, conduct themselves in a mature, credible manner. See, I was all in on getting Hunter's ass up there in public when he showed up. I'll testify right now. Let's do it. But that and, was going to turn and, into you know, a circus, though. Well, yeah, I mean, okay. But Jim Jordan and Comer and all those good time party boys, <laughs> I, I mean, they know what they're doing. And Do um, they? <laughs> Because you sound like you got a hell of a lot more faith that anything's going to happen to Hunter Biden than I do. Well, like, I, I care, like those guys. I don't care but... about Hunter Biden. I care about all roads leading back to his dad, the big guy. 10% for the big guy. That's all I care about. And this is where it starts. This situation reminds me of the Pacers post-brawl. After the brawl, they brought in a bunch of nice guys, right? Because they had to rebrand themselves. And none of them were any good. Talking about Troy Murphy and Mike Dunleavy. That's kind of how I feel about the oversight yeah, committee right whatever. now. I like these dudes, but they're not winning. That's the problem. Hunter's got the upper hand right now because he's making a joke of this whole thing. Uh, we have got a special guest in the studio here, the Attorney General for the great state of Indiana. Todd Rakita joins us. Mr. Attorney General, how are you? Just when I was getting sad for not being in Congress. <laughs> <laughs> hey, by the way, your staff your staff looked like they were having a blast at our charity bowling event last Friday. Yeah. Only, only only two of them had to be escorted out for public impact. <laughs> I think one of them's here now. Are you Kelly or Caitlin? Caitlin. Caitlin yeah, Caitlin. I believe that was no, lewd was a, behavior yeah. that she was, was kicked out I'm for. I'm kidding. That's <laughs> just joking. a joke. Just joking. a joke. Yeah, another office record. <laughs> yes, but seriously, that raised money for veterans groups. Our charity bowling event that we did last Friday raised thousands of dollars from multiple groups that uh, help our brave men and women. You paid for a bowling lane for your staffers, yeah. so thank you so much for helping out. No, thank you for letting us participate, and thank you for letting your listeners participate. It's great leadership, guys. So, it feels a little ridiculous that we have to actually say this out loud, but there has to be some sort of anti-Semitism bill now. Like, it's not good enough right. to just be a decent person who's not, you know, an anti-Semite or a bigot. There has to be a legislation. Take right. me through House Bill 
1002. Well, number one, it's a good bill. You know, I'd, I'm not a huge fan of legislating hate crimes or anything like that, but this is really a bill about definitions. This is a bill that says, you know, anti Semitism is not going to be tolerated, but defines anti Semitism and says it's not going to be tolerated here in the state of Indiana. And you're right, we shouldn't have to put that in a law, uh, but our legislators, and I agree with them, feel a need to do it because. Here we are, and, and, and we're in a we're in a place where you know I think we learned, we think we would have learned this lesson at least a few decades ago, in the 1940s. But we're in a place where we're teaching our children that it might be okay to have genocide. I mean, I mean literally what, teaching at some college universities. Yes. You look at Harvard and you look at Penn and some of these places. Uh, there's been a big problem there. But with it that. went from zero to 100 immediately after October 7th, like the day of or the mm. next day. You mm. immediately saw pro-Hamas, anti-Israel protesters mm. taking to the streets, even here in Indianapolis. So in a way, this is another, as this is the latest chapter, the latest installment of this oppressed versus oppressor situation that we have in every issue. You know, oh, whether sure, it's yeah. the CRT being taught in our schools or or issues we talk about on this on these radio waves all the time. The Israelis got labeled right then on October seventh as the oppressors and the Palestinians, the ones who were oppressed. And so with the Marxist ideology and that doctrine, uh, that's why you have this automatic triggered hatred. Israelis must be oppressors. No, that's not true. They're just trying to keep alive. They're trying to defend a country uh, that all historical records have, say are theirs, say is theirs. Um, but they got labeled an oppressor, Palestinians, and, and the Hamas got labeled the oppressed, and here we be. Chatting with Todd Rakita, he is the Attorney General for the state of Indiana. So, if you type in your name in Google and hit news... Boy, there's a lot of stuff that comes up. It's part of uh, the gig, right? Yeah. Thanks for the beer, by the way. No, you're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> we owed you one, actually, from the last time uh, I think you joined us. Uh, but I'm seeing this buffer zone uh, yeah. thing, the 25-foot police buffer zone. What yeah. is this? Well, you know, we've had the, the George Floyd riots uh, um, on the heels of that we've had. I don't know how you describe them. Maybe sovereign citizens is what they describe themselves. These YouTubers who are going out now and interfering, physically interfering with police officers as they're investigating a crime scene, a live scene, and it's become a real problem. So we've uh, the the legislature again right, rightly has come up with a 25 foot buffer zone that uh, that allows for accountability of police officers. And hey, our police officers, the good ones, which is almost all of them, want to be held accountable. So this lets the pub this lets the public see what they're doing, but not come so close that you're going to interfere or impede the, the police work that's actually going on. So you can get within 25 feet of an active crime scene and see what's going on, but you can't get up there with a the rubber glove on and start touching corpses right. and stuff. Yeah, right. Or we have uh, incidents where people are coming up to police officers on a live scene and flashing flashlights in their face, Okay, coming up behind them with their own gun. Yeah, no. Uh, what else are we having? Oh, uh, w one of these sovereign citizen types comes up to him and he drops his pants. <laughs> the police that? officer has to figure out what the now, heck's going fair, on. To be fair, that was after our bowling event. Nigel doesn't remember a thing <laughs> at all. I mean, this is ridiculous, uh, though. Like, so that's what's going on. And 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 the ACLU, right, who's on the other side of a lot of these things, is trying to defend the YouTubers. Um, and one in particular in South Bend, 
And uh, we recently won that case. We'll see what the appeal looks like. There was a sister suit filed by some uh, mainstream media types who thought that they couldn't do their job. But what, to, to that suit, to the one that we just won, what we're saying is, look, techno- look technology has advanced to the point where any, any phone now can video what needs to be videoed in a quality good enough that will keep transparency, keep the uh, police accountable. So, um, we don't think it's a problem. The court agreed with us. And, um, and again, we think it's a good Indiana law. So, we had a news story, I believe it was yesterday, some more folks are throwing their names in the mix to try to steal your job away from you as the Attorney General. Um, How hard is it when you've got serious issues like this? You're talking about anti-Semitism bills, you're fighting the ACLU. How hard is it to also campaign when you've got people going after you and you know what they're going to use against you? They're going to bring up the Fox News thing. They're going to bring up the Supreme Court stuff. Like, how do you balance it all out? I just do my job. I mean, honestly, uh, the jobs that we're doing speaks for itself. I think, I think it speaks very highly. We have uh, we have great attorneys. Uh, we're, we are doing a lot. We're in a lot. We're in a great mix of, of, of things. And I really like the job. I mean, all things... <laughs> you're trying to make me depressed, I think, but... No, that's, that's not what the Indy Star says. <laughs> right. They yeah, say right? Trying to get, you're, you're trying to get yourself fired. Yeah. I mean, that's about all they have to say now. I mean, they can't think of... There's, there's nothing else out there to say, so they make this stuff up. No. In fact, Mrs. Rokita even said, you know, you finally found a job that fits your personality. (laughs) Is that a compliment (laughs) or not? I'm not sure. I'm still trying to figure that one out. Uh, No, I I do like the job, and I wouldn't wouldn't be anywhere else right now. I mean, uh, someone was asking me um, the other day, you know, hey, you could be running for Senate, you could be running for governor. I guess I I could, or I could be back in the private sector. Um, But I really feel like the work we're doing and the the fights that we started in court, these legal battles need to be finished, and and I'm going to do the job. And it's one I like doing. Cool. Go back real quick before we put a bow tie on this thing. Go back to the anti-Semitism bill yep. that your office is behind HB one thousand two. What chances does this have of actually getting past the House and the Senate? Like, I'm sure there's going to be some dissenters. Right? No, it's 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 unreal. It's been unanimous so far. There's been some debate, but uh, it's got out of yeah. It's got it's it's it's. I think it's going to be on the way to, to Governor Holcomb's desk very soon. At the end of the day. Okay. Okay. All right. So that's that's a good thing. We'll take that. We're optimistic yeah. about that. What are some things in Indiana that you would love to see changed, but you're not as optimistic about? Oh, this session? Well, it's in good. general, like it, in general. No, it's going to be a short session. I think they're going to want to get out and campaign, uh, and they don't want to keep that uh, too messy. I think we have to work on um, some enforcement capabilities, uh, not only with my office, but generally. Uh, on patient privacy, you know, it's not just the abortion issue. It's making sure that hospitals and doctors um, respect patients' privacy. And and I think we're in a world where we're we're, we're straining and losing our privacy, whether it's data, whether it's medical records, whether it's a lot of things. And I think whether it's have, blabbing to the Indy Star, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> an abortion activist um, doctor blabbing to the Indy Star, is that what you're yeah. talking about? And and yeah, everyone knows that one case. But here's the thing, guys. I, at any given time, have 20, 20 to 24 live cases about doctors violating patients' privacy. It's something wow. that we actually do a lot of. You just never hear about it because they only want you to hear about one, right? So, uh, you know, that's really an issue. And we're in a culture now where, with AI and everything else, we lose our privacy by the millisecond. And, and I hope we can get that back in our culture.
Is there ever a day where you wake up and you check social media and you just want to go off on somebody? Whether it's a writer for the star, whether it's a midday host here at WIBC, <laughs> whether it's somebody from the ACLU. Is there ever anything that you've almost put on Twitter and you had to say, eh, I better delete that. <laughs> or what, even, even better, one of your staff sees what you're about to put on yeah. Twitter. Hey, right. hey, oh, yeah. oh, oh, hey, hey. Yeah, well, for my own protection, we have some internal office agreements where I'm allowed to write drafts. Ah, okay. You can't hit send. And a lot of times the drafts go through, but a lot of times uh, they come back to me and I rewrite them. <laughs> that is actually a good practice. It's it's actually very therapeutic yeah, you're to right. write something out, stick it in your desk drawer, so to speak, or keep it on your phone. A lot sleep of people on would it, stay out of trouble if they and come yeah. back the next day. Myself in that <laughs> yeah, category. You're in that category. Myself in that category. Uh, Todd Rakita, the Attorney General, thank you so much for coming by. We appreciate it. Thanks for your leadership in the community, guys. Appreciate you. Amber and Nigel presents. Is. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Is this anything? All right, let's rock and roll. Rock and roll. Hammer, how do we play? I'm going to run stories by you, blah, 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 blah. Is this anything? Does your kid's school ever do half days? Like, is that still a thing anymore? Uh, well, I mean, we had a two-hour de- delay for for snow. I don't know about half days, though. I mean, I, th- I think it's one and the same to me, anyway. Here's a mom on TikTok ticked off about half days. Uh-oh. Half days? Why? Why are we doing this? By the time it takes me to drag my kids out of their bed and shove them out the door two days this week... Why couldn't we just do that once for one full day? Who's doing the math? What math are we doing here? What is it? Is it the amount of hours in or the amount of days I have to drag my kids here? It's causing me angina getting them out of the house only to have to then come pick up within three hours? What can I get done in three hours? I can't get nothing done. I'm circling my tail for at least an hour and a half at home. What are we doing? Who can I talk to? No, this is nothing. This is some woman complaining that she has to do her job as a mom. That's what she's complaining about. <laughs> Look, I get it, man. Um, during COVID, a lot of parents were thrown into this crazy vortex where their kids were home and they were home too, and they were having to juggle jobs and e-learning at the same time. This is something different. This is a woman that's annoyed that she can't, uh, you know, go home and drink all day. <laughs> right. I can't start drinking right now because I have to go pick up Billy in three hours. I like the two-hour snow delay. Though. I wouldn't know because we haven't had any. Yeah, you haven't had any. I no delays lots, whatsoever. Lots of two-hour delays. Sleep in a little bit. Kids. I mean, yeah. I mean, seven thirty is awfully early to me. Did Did you go to school at seven thirty in the morning? Like I'm trying to remember as a kid in North Salem Elementary School. I have no idea I, what if, time if I, I went. If I did, then that means I would have had to be on the bus at six thirty in the morning because I was on the bus for an hour there at Redneck Liston, <laughs> <laughs> picking up lots of uh, hillbillies and then uh, going to elementary school. Yeah, I have no idea. I couldn't begin to tell yeah. you what time I went to school. I don't know what but time this, I got to work today. This lady, no, this I think she's whining because she has to do her job. Is this anything? A Philly neighborhood discovered that they had a potentially explosive gas leak thanks to a dog that kept digging a hole in the concrete of the home's front yard. When the owner checked on the dog's bizarre behavior, a gas leak was discovered. Here is the owner of the dog 
discussing everything going on. He kept digging holes in the yard. I didn't think anything of it. Had a ghastly house prior to this, like earlier in the month. I was having some issues with my heater, got a gas reader, checked the house, nothing in the house. Checked outside when he did it again on the 21st, and I said, you know what, let me check the hole. Check the hole was gas. They worked nonstop Dang. for three days, fixed everything up, and for them to say that a light switch could have blew up the whole house was just really, really, really mind-blowing. I'm so thankful. Thank you for God. Thank you for my baby boy. Those gas leaks are scary, man. You heard her say it right there, a light switch, just by simply turning it on, if you let this uh, gas leak go unchecked. I mean, you've seen footage. I've seen Uncle Lewis drop his stogie yeah, that's what at I- the Griswold's house. <laughs> the storm sewer? Right. <laughs> That's what you're comparing this to? Yes. You could have had the same sort of situation as Uncle Lewis? <laughs> okay. Uh, which brings us to great moments in gas leak history. Really? Here's John Kerry at the climate convention <laughs> farting. On. Those things that are killing people on a daily basis. <laughs> One more time, please, Allison. So subtle, you got to pay attention. Those things that are killing people on a daily basis. <laughs> Great moments in gas leak history. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Yeah, you know, Hammer, I'm old enough to remember when the uh, doofuses in the public health establishment, the liars in Washington, Dr. Fauci, would say, well, we've got to lock the country down. We can't let you go to work because if we do, COVID is going to bring our health care system to a halt. Hospitals will collapse. The whole system will collapse. Meanwhile, COVID was rampant throughout the entire country, and none of that happened. There was a None big ship in New York. Remember this, like the big floating medical yeah, hospital. The USNS Comfort. It was the Mercy Class hospital ship. Donald Trump gave the okay for that to go dock up at New York and Manhattan or wherever you know wherever, and and they used it for like a month. Literally, I'm looking at an article here. They used it for a month to treat like 180 patients. And when that when that probably could have been used, Cuomo could have used that ship to put the elderly patients with COVID inside instead of sending them back into the nursing homes, right? Where many of them died. Where many, yes, exactly. So our hospitals didn't collapse. Some, okay, some of them were empty. Some of them had to fire nurses because people were too scared to come to the emergency room for other things, other ailments. Now, I'm not saying every hospital was like that. No, some were, I'm some sure, were stressed. Yeah. Some were stressed, but I'm just old enough to remember the threat of the healthcare uh, and the collapse was, was a big-time headline. Well, it's happening in Denver, but yet I'm not talking about COVID. I am talking about the migrant crisis affecting the U.S. and local economy and healthcare establishment. Denver's main public hospital is deep in the red after all the illegal migrants receiving hundreds of millions of dollars worth of treatments they were unable to pay for. So migrants are crossing over into the United States because there's basically no border there at this point. And the Biden administration loves this. They think it's cute. They think they can make them voters one day. And as a result of this, these people, some of them families, some of them just individuals, they're going to the hospital to get treatment and they can't pay for it. 
So now all these hospitals that have been wasting, I don't want to say wasting, but exercising all their time and effort on these patients, they're going belly up a little bit. They're struggling because they're not getting paid for the treatment. 8,000 migrants, and migrants, I don't even like that, 8,000 illegal immigrants uh, came to the city of Denver. Um, uh, made around 20,000 visits to the healthcare system. And uh, we're talking dental emergencies, mental health, childbirth, <laughs> counseling, you know, mental health counseling. I, I just. Some of those you know, folks probably saw some things at the border. Well, of course, but I'm just saying we're all worried about the healthcare establishment in the hospitals collapsing. Meanwhile, it is really happening in Denver because they're $130 million in the red because they keep having to treat illegal immigrants that are allowed in through the southern border because of policies from Joe Biden. And I wonder what it's like in Chicago oh. or New York, these other places that. This is were just one story, yeah. Pounding on their chest. We are sanctuary cities but then when their bluff got called now they're saying please don't come please don't come denver is the first one we're hearing about denver is the first one where we've got you know some statistical data i wonder what it's like in chicago because i bet it's worse i bet it's worse in washington dc and i bet it's worse in new york city so keep an eye on this story the same people who told you those awful unvaccinated people they're the ones that are going to shut down the healthcare system i bet they don't say a damn word about this situation no. actually causing problems for the healthcare system dateline new jersey a New Jersey gas station may be getting fined after 26 drivers reported issues with the gasoline. 58% water gasoline. What? Was at this gas station in New Jersey, and people were putting this in their cars. Many cars broke down. Well, yeah. Uh, there was flooding in the area, and authorities believe that water may have leaked into the holding tanks for the gas. Uh-huh. Okay. Here's a motorist talking about the issues that he encountered. It was people around the corner that was broken down. Even down the highway, people broke down. It was a whole mess. And as I was playing gas, everybody was screaming at me not to get gas. And when I, I got out of the car, I took the pump off, and the guy was trying to make me pay for the gas, and I didn't. And kind of find out it was everybody's car was getting broke down. You yeah, ever had? I would, I would. <laughs> uh, this is a loaded question. You ever had bad gas, Nigel? <laughs> I've almost accidentally put diesel. Oh no, I've actually um, accidentally put unleaded in a diesel engine, which would have been a disaster. I, uh, but I've never, I've never, no, I've never heard of this. I've never heard of, of you know, some sort of flood happening and then the, you know, seeping into the gas tanks, underground gas tanks. And, and by the way, I wouldn't pay for it either. 58% yeah, water after somebody inspected it. And God love him, my uh, my father-in-law, the late, great Brownie, Dave Brown, yep. anytime there was something wrong with the car, he swore it was bad gas. <laughs> like, he could be driving down the road and a tire flies off, you know, bullet goes through the side of the door. Ah, <laughs> oh, damn it, I got bad gas. Well, no, I, I'm not really sure that's the case there, but uh, you do you. Love Brownie. Allison, ever had bad gas? <laughs> Uh, I don't think so. I don't think so. But now I'm a little paranoid about it. I would be so upset. You just fill up the gas tank and you go, what, a mile? And then it breaks down? That would be awful. And as passionate as you are talking about it, I think you should start a podcast. (laughs) 
Bad Gas with Allison. <laughs> bad Gas with Allison. And each week, you have a new guest come on, and you guys talk about having bad gas. I'm all gassed up. <laughs> Love it. I would download every episode. I would, too. <laughs> it would be the first thing I listen to in the morning and the last thing I listen to at night. Um, seven years ago today, on this date, I believe we were... Uh, I believe we were here, 2017. Yeah, yeah we were on the air at that yeah, point. Yeah. Uh, we had just taken over for uh, the chicks at that point. But it was the inauguration of Donald Trump. Do you remember the concert? Because remember... They had trouble finding bands. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't like you know Obama's inauguration. Everybody that's a leftist in Hollywood, those big stars, they were lining up to go. Trump had a hard time finding people. Do you remember any of the artists that played his inaugura- um, inaugural ball? Who are the people? Who's the guys that sing Kryptonite? Three Doors Down. Was, yep. was that one of them? Yes. Was that right? Okay. Three Doors Down, Lee Greenwood... Toby Keith and the Piano Guys. <laughs> that was the lineup for Donald Trump's inaugural What's ball. What's the Piano Guys? Well, I believe they play piano. I'm not, <laughs> not really sure. I'm just going to go on a limb and say I think they play the piano. They do cover songs on the piano, though. I've seen some of their instrumental stuff. I think I've played it at weddings before. They'll Look take like, popular songs and put it onto a piano. I think I'm looking at the list of performers for Obama's inaugural. Um, celebration, Beyonce. Uh, these are concert that this is a concert that actually featured performances. Beyonce, Mary J. Blige, John John, uh, John Bon Jovi, Garth Brooks, Mariah Carey, Cheryl Crow, <laughs> Josh Groban, Herbie Hancock, John Legend, <laughs> John Mellencamp, and so who did Trump get? <laughs> Toby Keith, Lee Greenwood, Three Doors Down of the Piano Guys. And it seems it's like only favorite. yesterday, seven years ago on this date, that we had Donald Trump call into this show oh. and talk about his inauguration concert. My inauguration concert in Washington was unbelievably spectacular. It was very diverse. We just had so many amazing people. I think there was a Molly Hatchet tribute band out there. I'm not really sure. All right, I got to get going. I just got a text from the Secret Service that a sniper just took down two incredibly overweight guys. They believe that one of them may be Rosie O'Donnell. Seven years ago today on this date. It's the Hammer and Nigel Show. And we go back. This cracks me up. Even this British toddler knows that New York City is a hellhole. <laughs> Listen to this. There's a couple of clips that are going viral on social media. One is this clip of this British toddler being brutally honest in his review about being in New York City. Mama, I don't like hearing you yaw. Why? Because there's a lot of rubbish. You said it's pretty. Look at all the stuff on the floor. So many people here. Mama, I don't like you all. Oh, what's so stinky? Mama, can I get a mask? It's stinky, all <laughs> Okay, I think that's a pretty good um, general description of what you could find on a day-to-day basis in certain parts of uh, New York City right now. A lot of rubbish, a lot of people, really stinky. <laughs> that's it. You just described it, my friend. My wife wants to take, and you know what? I have some friends that took their family to New York over Christmas and the pictures look great. Uh, they look like they were having a blast. Uh, I, I, My wife wants to take our daughter to, to New York. I, I'm like, have fun. Watch where you go. Watch 
there's some areas of that place, just like any place you go, that right. are, are, are better than others. You know right. what I mean? Things get a little dicey when the sun goes down in certain <laughs> spots. Hell, when the sun is up, it's a little dicey. And, and don't de- ride the subway. And depending, Yeah, don't ride the subway. And depending on what day it is, there could be a protest blocking your way uh, on the roads. Correct. A lot going on there. Uh, another clip going viral on the interwebs is this chef it's a chef teaching his six to one grocery shopping method now i'm not going to play you the audio here because we're a little short on time but the chef is basically saying six to one grocery shopping this is a hack on how you do things you buy six vegetables five fruits four proteins three starches two sauces or spreads and one fun thing for yourself yeah, it's just going to lead to me being hungry with a bunch of spoiled crap in my fridge. What am I going to do with all these vegetables? Eat them? <laughs> you eat them. Six to one sucks. <laughs> I had a positive experience at a grocery store last night. I'm not going to say where, because it was kind of iffy. I'll tell you why, just real quick. Uh, I had to stop at the grocery store on the way home, and I picked up a bunch of stuff, including a bottle of Fireball for the weekend. Dry okay. as, dry as January. Got home. <laughs> Got home and got the milk in the fridge, got the other stuff, no fireball. I'm thinking, crap, did I forget to GD? And so I'm looking on the, on the um, receipt. Yep, I paid for fireball. So I went back to the grocery. Nobody really kind of had any idea what was going on. There was a kid working behind the counter. I go, hey, look, I, uh, look at the receipt here. He goes, oh, oh, so you're saying you paid for fireball and you, you didn't get it? He goes, hey, I just go back and get another one. Nice. Now, I got to give credit where credit is due. I thought it was going to be a hassle. I thought they were going to think I was some degenerate alcoholic liar. Well. <laughs> I walked right into that one. There's a little gray area there. <laughs> Cheeks wide open on that one. Thanks. <laughs> God, I'm glad you didn't mention the store because I think what that kid did was wrong. Well, I. I I didn't. I didn't get my fireball. Whoever was. Oh yeah, none of us got our fireball. <laughs> We're all outside just peeing. I've seen that excuse a million times. But I literally just walked right back there and walked right out with my fireball. I did show him my receipt. Come back an hour later. I bought this fireball. <laughs> Find a different worker and see if it works again. It probably slid out of the bag. It's underneath the second, the first bottle's underneath my seat right now in the truck, probably. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Burr and Nigel. Can you believe these characters are weirdos? So let's rock! Last night, Nikki Haley, running for that GOP presidential nomination, had a town hall on CNN. So... What did Trump do, Hammer? He countered it by doing an interview with Sean Hannity on Fox. <laughs> I wonder what's got better ratings. <laughs> this isn't the first time that uh, he's done a little uh, fighting fire with fire, sure. so to speak. When, I think it was CNN, had that one-on-one debate between DeSantis and Nikki Haley, uh, Donald Trump did his own yep. town hall on Fox. So he's always offering counter-programming, as we call it in the broadcast biz. So, Donald Trump clearly going all in on ripping Nikki Haley. It's like Ron DeSantis doesn't even exist to him anymore. Here is Donald Trump 
last night going all in on Nikki Haley and the primary process in New Hampshire. So Democrats are allowed to vote, which they're going to vote for her because they don't want to run against me. They want to run against her. You know, it's a very simple system. Uh, We are leading Biden in every poll. Michigan just came out. We're leading by 11. Uh, Georgia just came out. We're leading by 13 points. We're leading everywhere now. And she's not. You know, she has one obsolete poll that she likes. She's about two months old where she was leading (laughs) Biden. Well, that those days are gone. She's not leading Biden anymore. The problem is the Democrats want her to run desperately. So they have a lot of Democrats signing up in New Hampshire. Yeah, a lot of Democrats donating to her campaign. The co-founder of LinkedIn put a buttload of money into the Haley camp but still is on the record of saying he plans to vote for Joe Biden yeah, well, let's, in the let's presidential be, election. Let's be honest. If Joe Biden doesn't make it to the finish line, I, I think there's a lot of Democrats that would like to see Nikki Haley in place. Right. And what, you know what should I mean? that tell you if you're somebody that wants conservative <laughs> values in the White House? And I say that because she does have some Democrat-ish tendencies and policies. 100%. So let me ask you this question, right. Nige. And if you're in your car, if you're at work, I want you to think about the answer to this, too. Do you think Donald Trump now is more popular than he was when he ran in 2020 or when he ran for president prior to 2016? I think more popular than than both. Because in, especially in 2016, where people kind of thought it was all a laugh, haha, Donald Trump's running, when all of a sudden they realized, oh no, he's, this is serious. But right now, with all the crap he's going through, all the, um, the, you know, the establishment trying to shut him down, the DOJ, Joe Biden trying to put him in jail, keep him from running, put, to, you know, um, secretaries of states taking his name off ballots. Yes, I think he's more popular now than ever. So, Donald Trump talked about this last night on this uh, sit-down interview on Fox. Why do you think you're more popular now than you ever have been? Because the Biden administration is so bad, and we now have a contrast. You didn't have a contrast so much before, and now you have a contrast. Why? What happened? You know, we get the most votes of any sitting president in history, and then somebody else takes over, and they take a look at what uh, we had versus what they have now, and the difference is so stark. It's so massive. It's so different. The country is a different place. We were respected all over the world. We got the largest tax cuts ever, the largest regulation cuts ever. We rebuilt our military. So his angle is it's not even about the legal stuff. You know, we told you what Joe Biden's presidency was going to be like. An open border, rampant crime. You're going to pay more at the grocery store. You're going to pay more at the gas pump. Well, people are actually seeing it now. Maybe oh, yeah. they didn't believe him the first time. So there's a little something to compare and contrast it's with. It's funny. We've been telling you about this for four years. <laughs> We've been telling you all about this in the past couple of years. And now it's just starting to come to fruition for Biden and the Democrats. So while Trump was on Fox, Nikki Haley was on CNN, and she was flip-flopping on something that she's talked about quite a bit. In the past, she's been asked time after time, what is your stance on big tech companies? Should they have to verify people before they're allowed to get a social media account? And in the past, Nikki Haley's been all in. Absolutely. Big tech, they should allow people to be doxxed on social media. So, so you have to give your name and information, and you can't have it like an anonymous account, is what right. you're saying, right? Which, listen, 
I don't like anonymous accounts, but yeah. if you're going down the avenue of free speech, yeah. free speech means there's going to be online trolls that have the right to say things that you disagree with. So here's what Nikki Haley had to say last night about whether or not big tech companies should have to verify people for them to have a social media account. I'm not saying that Americans have to disclose their name. What I'm saying is you have millions of foreign bots. All right, stop right there. She says, I'm not saying that Americans have to uh, be verified. This is a little montage set to music that we put together (laughs) of pretty much every single interview she's given talking about this. We need our social media companies to verify everybody. (laughs) Every person on social media should be verified by their name. Every person on social media needs to be verified. They need to verify every single person on their outlet. Uh, Let's play some audio from last night's CNN Town Hall. I'm not saying that Americans have to disclose their name. Oh, okay. Just everyone is what got me confused there, Nikki. Uh, So we've talked about the GOP here. Now let's talk about the front runner for the Dems. Joe Biden was giving a speech, and that's the front runner for the Dems. You think? (laughs) Right now it is, at least. All right. And I want you to listen to this. He caught himself in a rambling story and then basically admitted he lied and had no idea what he was talking about. We're going to make this another edition of Joe Biden's Fine. And now, Hannah and Nigel present Joe Biden's Fine. Nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. Please, this So, Joe Biden, he's up at the podium. He's asking for Congresswoman Ross in the crowd. And then he says that he just got his picture taken with her. But then he says that's not true and that he forgot because she's actually not there at all. Appreciate it very much. I also want to mention Congressman Deborah Ross. Where's Deborah? I just had my picture taken with her. That's probably why she left. No, all kidding to stop. Anyway, oh, she couldn't be here, actually. That's not true. I got it mixed up. And she has, uh, you know, she fights very hard for the people of this district, and she's up in Washington right now. Uh, I just, where is she? I just had my picture taken with her a minute ago. Oh, she's not even here. Kind of had the same cringy vibes uh, as when he was uh, looking around the room for the late congresswoman from Indiana, Jackie Walorski. And I want to thank all of you here, for including bipartisan elected officials like Representative Governor, Senator Braun, Senator Booker, Representative Jackie, are you here? Where's Jackie? No. I didn't think she she was going to be here. So bad. Awkward. And this concludes another edition of Joe Biden's Fine. What was that? This has been Joe Biden's Fine. Nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. Anyway. So, Nige, <laughs> we got Beer Sample Friday coming up here in just a little bit. Yes, sir. But if you're looking for a reason to drink something other than Beer Sample Friday, how about this? Turning 78 years old today. Dolly Parton. Wow. America's sweetheart, oh, Dolly yeah. Parton. She's 78. Most of her body is still only in its 20s. <laughs> and I remember at Thanksgiving on that Dallas Cowboys football game. Oh, she, she, per- she performed at halftime, didn't she? Yeah. She rocked it. Her halftime show was yeah. way better than that turd that the Lions brought out there. And I think Tony Romo, 
may have been a little hot under the collar for Miss Dolly Parton. She's wearing the Cowboys cheerleading outfit. Yeah. You saw that coming, didn't you? I, you I, said, I think she's going to go with a little cheerleading outfit tonight. And I was like, wow, that's pretty good. What do you think we're going to see? I mean, she looks half. amazing. Right? <laughs> you never know what's going to happen here. Who doesn't like Dolly Parton? No, she's absolutely an American <laughs> treasure. Poor Jim Nance, Jim Nance is trying yeah. to talk about the game, and Tony Romo's like, no, I want to talk about Dolly Parton in that cheerleader outfit. Uh, great moments in Dolly Parton history. Yeah. This is when Dolly Parton shared her thoughts on Joe Biden. Well, I say we hire a couple of Wranglers to go upstairs and beat the shit out of him. Great moments in Dolly Parton history. Are you okay? Everything's gonna be okay. Are you okay? Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm pretty f***ing far from okay. <laughs> Are you okay with this? On the Hammer and Nigel. Oh, yeah! Well, we just got done talking about one American treasure, Dolly Parton, turning uh, 78 years old today. How about another uh, American country music treasure? Reba McIntyre. The NFL announced, Hammer, that Reba McIntyre will sing the national anthem before uh, the Super Bowl here, coming up in a couple of weeks. Are you okay with this? Oh, yeah. I'm 100% okay with this. And I was watching, uh, I think it was CBS. She was doing an interview about it. This wasn't something that she was lobbying for. She was just sitting at home, hanging out, chilling, and then her phone rings, and it was her manager saying, is there any interest in singing at the Super Bowl? I got the news from my manager, Justin McIntyre. She said that they wanted me to sing the national anthem at the Super Bowl, and I said, oh my gosh, well, let me think about that. And Rex Lynn, my boyfriend, who is a huge football fan, he said, yes, she'll do it, absolutely. So. Okay, all right, cool. Yeah, and this isn't the first time Reba has sang the national anthem before a major event. Really? If you remember, back when WrestleMania came to Indianapolis at the Hoosier Dome in 1992. <laughs> what? WrestleMania 8, Reba McIntyre sang the national anthem for that. And <laughs> the best what? part about that, because I was a kid watching this on pay-per-view, a lot of people were there. It was at the Hoosier Dome. Bobby Heenan, Indianapolis, Bobby Heenan, Bobby the Brain Heenan, after Reba McIntyre finished singing, he said that it was Tito Santana's sister, Ariba McIntyre. <laughs> that was tremendous, Brian. Boy, can Tito's sister belt one out. Will you stop? That's Ariba McIntyre. <laughs> Ariba McIntyre. Bobby the Brain Heenan. What an interesting piece of trivia. Very impressive. And this takes us to great <laughs> moments in national anthem history. Ladies and gentlemen, Frank Drebin. As bad as Frank Drebin was, I still think his rendition was better than Carl Lewis. Oh, oh no. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I'll make up for it now. For the land of the free. 
so bad. And if we're doing great That's moments awful. in national anthem history, I'm going to take you down a different path okay. to close this out here. This isn't anybody singing the national anthem. It's somebody upset that NFL players were kneeling for the national anthem. Wouldn't you love to see one of these NFL owners when somebody disrespects our flag to say, get that son of a bitch off the field right now. Out. He's fired. He's fired. Come on, Nige. Give it to me. Give it to me one time. He's fired. Fired. Coyotes. (laughs) All right. uh, Hugh Hefner's 37-year-old widow, Crystal Hefner, who in 2021 spoke lovingly about her dead husband, Hugh Hefner, Playboy Empire. She's changed her tune a little bit, Hammer, because she's selling a book. Now she is saying he was an awful scumbag, quote, having to sleep with an 80-year-old. There's a price. Everything has a price. Are you okay with this? No, I'm not, because she had a price, and the price <laughs> yeah. was $10 million. That's what she got after Hugh Hefner passed away. Wow. She got $10 million. She willingly married him when she was in her 20s. Nobody had a gun to her head. This wasn't some sort of human trafficking thing. She was a gold digger. She knew what she was getting into. She willingly funneled that old man's hog, <laughs> and now oh, come on. maybe she's blown some of the money. I don't know, but she's trying to get more money by ripping him in a new book. No, I'm not okay with that at all. The Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders are upset that Green Bay Packers players were talking trash to them during the Packers win at Dallas last week. Here's Cowboys cheerleader taking to TikTok to voice her frustrations. So I cheer for the Cowboys, and y'all, the Cowboys versus Packers game last Sunday, I have never experienced such disrespect from the other team's players to the cheerleaders in my five years as an NFL cheerleader. Like, we would literally be minding our own business, and the Packers just scored a touchdown. This is one example. They would come up to us, standing on the sidelines, minding our own business, and start yelling at us. Like, sometimes it was this close to our face. Also, I feel like that's unsportsmanlike conduct. Oh. Are you okay with this upset Cowboys cheerleader? No. I'm not even sure what she was talking about. She's mad that when the Packers would score a touchdown, because the game was in Dallas, you know, the cheerleaders are right there, you know, either at the end of the end zone yeah. or on the sideline. The Packers players were talking some smack to the cheerleaders of America's team. <laughs> if she's upset with anybody, she needs to be upset with the Dallas Cowboys. Stop the Packers from scoring touchdown <laughs> after touchdown after touchdown, and maybe they don't get as mouthy. No, this is part of the game. It wasn't like one of the Packers spit on her or hit her or said something sexual to her. They were just running trash because they were boat racing America's team. All right, last one. A New Jersey man is getting high praise for picking up over 24,000 cigarette butts from his neighborhood. And on top of that, for every butt he picked up, He donated a penny to the American Heart Association. His name is Jim, talking about his uh, the good deed here. As I picked up trash, I saw a lot of cigarette butts, so I decided, let me start picking them up. Maybe I can make a donation to the American Lung Association for each one I pick up. It won't be significant, but every penny helps. And I thought, okay, twenty thousand is my goal. I went to twenty-two thousand and said, oh, I'll never reach that, and I did. And sometime in December, I said, I'm going to make one final goal, twenty-three thousand, and I 
finally ended the year at 24,185. That's a lot of cigarette butts. Are you okay with this? No, not at all. Because <laughs> now this guy has set the precedence that people can just throw their cigarette butts out the window and he's going to come by and pick them up. He's like the designated Dave of picking up cigarette butts here. And you could have just made the donation anyway. You know, if you were really that passionate about donating to the American Heart Association, you didn't have to go full Hunter Biden walking around on your hands and knees looking for things on the ground that have been in somebody's mouth. No, not okay with this. Sam and Nigel show. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. My name is Nigel. Jason Hammer right over there. We'll go straight to the hotline and bring on Breitbart News Editor-in-Chief Alex Marlowe. Alex, uh, Happy New Year and congratulations on the newest addition to the Marlowe family. That is so kind of you guys. You guys are the absolute best. I always love being on with you, and uh, very kind of you to think of me. You know, I was—I actually was thinking of you uh, when Trump was giving his victory speech, the Iowa caucuses, and then Rachel Maddow cut in and actually said and admitted to her audience, look, we're biased, and he says untrue things, so we're not going to air this. And that brought me back to your book, which you are re-releasing in paperback. I think you did it this week, Breaking the News. It really made me think of breaking the news and the collusion of corporate media and the Democrats. Yeah, thank you, because I thought of it, too, and it was very timely, because it is being re-released this week, and uh, thanks to everyone who's already picked it up. I know you guys were big champions of it at the time, yeah. um, but it is more relevant than ever, and one of the reasons is you look at these people like Rachel Maddow, who uh, is propped up by the corporate establishment, is told is an impressive and smart person, flaunts a resume, a resume. you know, she's a Rhodes Scholar, she's supposed to be so, so brilliant. Uh, the way that she misled her million of of viewers on, in particular, the Russia collusion hoax. I document that so thoroughly in the book, she looks like a flat-out kook by the time you're done reading lie after lie after lie that she just tells with a straight face every night. And then she acts like she's got some authority over what is true. It shows you that not only is she a corrupt person, but she worked for a corrupt media establishment, namely the people at NBC, Comcast, Universal, who run her network. But it really is the entirety of the publishing industry who props her up and the Democrat Party in general. They're all in on this together, and they are that powerful that they can continue to lie. And instead of giving people uh, pink slips or, or you know whatever it would be for uh, I guess pink slips on the right word, but you know giving them uh, let's say HR reviews at a minimum about how they're lying to the public, what they're doing is they're giving them huge surprises, insane stuff. I could document it all, and it's time to read it. Alex Jason Hammer here. Do you think though the public buys it? Because I don't think it matters if you're a Republican or. a or a Democrat, I think if you ask most people in this country, do you feel like the television news networks lie to you? I think most people would say yes. So when Rachel Maddow goes up there and wags her finger at you because she's the bastion of truth, she knows what's real and what's not, do people actually buy that? Yeah, this is a good point, and I think a lot of people in your audience, and this is why there's another pitch for the book, if you feel like you've read enough about how horrible the media is. I I guarantee you, you haven't, and I do challenge some norms that conservatives have about it. Um, But I do think we've, thankfully, thanks to talk radio and alternative media like Breitbart, 
I think we've gotten through to most people how bad the media is. You can see in the poll numbers. That's terrific news. Uh, and we have not gotten through our message to the people who run the various newsrooms and newspapers, which is actually kind of great. Um, I'm a Los Angelino. I'm watching the Los Angeles Times crumble before our eyes. And the people in the newsroom are fighting to try to make sure that there's an equal level diversity after the next round of layoffs. So no merit, no 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 meritocracy in place. Uh, it's the firing people basically based on color and not firing them based off of who's actually underperforming. That's exactly why these newsrooms are failing. But the other part of the book that I think is really important for people is it's a breakdown of how the media establishment was part of a corrupt conspiracy to rig the 2020 election. That's exactly what it is. It's a conspiracy to rig an election. But the thing that I think is where it differentiates my analysis from some others, I don't think the Dominion voting stuff was real. I don't think some of these voting systems and the viral stuff we saw online or the pizza boxes over windows, yeah. I don't think that's how it was rigged. I think it was rigged through the manipulation of information. And there's two components to that. There's one is keeping the public uninformed by the media and tech establishment lying about the various candidates and blocking accurate information, going to incredible lengths to censor it and working with the government to do that. Uh, and then the other component is lying to us about the dangers of the coronavirus so that we changed our election rules to make it yep. easier for Democrats to run mail-in voting campaigns. All of this is completely heinous, and it's all still in place. It's all a threat for this election. Breitbart News Editor-in-Chief Alex Marlowe here on the Hammer and Nigel Show, re-releasing his book, Breaking the News, in paperback, New York Times bestseller. So, Alex, um, I, I mean, I, we, we mentioned how MSNBC and CNN took Trump off the air during his victory speech. Are we seeing the same thing happen again that happened in 2020? Yeah, well, what happened in 2016 was they all put Trump on and made fun of him. They got great ratings, and they didn't understand that Trump's audience, I think it was Selena Zito who who uh, put it correct, said that the, the audience was smart enough to know that we take Trump seriously but not literally, and the, our, his opponents take him literally but not seriously. And that's what they did in 2016, and it's, it's kind of a brilliant quote, and it didn't work for them. Trump won. And it was one of these things where the media uh, was held held default for it because they had given him all this free press that they thought they were doing because people were watching Trump and thinking he was an idiot. No, most of us were watching him and thinking, wow, this guy's onto something here. He's saying some interesting new stuff. So they wouldn't do that in 2020. In 2020, they, they blacked him out more. They wouldn't air the speeches. Um, they wouldn't even fact-check some of them because uh, we saw through their fact-check lies. And yes, yeah, so they're going to run that playbook again. They're only going to talk about Trump now with regards to either something that they think is really terrible that he did or one of his court cases, and they're not going to talk about the ideas that give him power. Alex, you're one of the folks that, from time to time, gets access to former President Donald Trump. You've interviewed him a number of different times. How is Donald Trump different from 2020 or 2016? Uh, there's a couple ways. There's one thing that I noticed the last time I was with him, which was about a month or so ago um, at Mar-a-Lago, is 
he's more conciliatory to people who are not necessarily inclined to vote for him, um, but he wants them to vote for him. It's the he was kind of warm in a lot of ways to people who might differ with some of the things he did his first term, and he is trying to instill confidence in people that he's not going to make some of the same mistakes that he made the first time. With particular, in particular, with regards to personnel, some of his hiring choices uh, that did not please certain people, including himself. Uh, he thinks he knows better. He's smart enough to figure this out, and he's experienced enough to figure it out. And he really wanted to instill that in me. Also, some of his messaging on some of the more complicated areas of his record, like the issue of abortion, which is very complex, his record now, uh, he was very – he acknowledged that. And I think he's – if you hear him out, he's a very interesting and subtle take on the issue. And I think that it gives something to everyone. Personally, for me, I'm a pro-life guy, uh, and I really like his Supreme Court picks overturning Roe versus Wade. But there's a lot of people who are uh, upset that that led to a lot of energy in the Democrat political base, uh, that they don't see how Republicans kind of fought fecklessly against Roe versus Wade for 50 years. And he single-handedly, well, I mean, with the help of all the supporters, but basically single-handedly got it overturned. Uh, he's acknowledged and embracing that part of his history, but he also doesn't want us to do something stupid like have a bunch of abortion measures on the ballot this year that ha- that favor Democrats because they turn out to vote. He gets all this stuff, and I thought it was pretty impressive the way he was stringing some of these narratives together. All that to say in a nutshell, he's incredibly smart. He's incredibly sharp, and even though he's getting older, he instilled a lot of confidence in me that it, though he's not going to get everything right, he's going to have a better shot of appointing the right people, and he's going to be on top of it on a personal level. So it's over for the GOP race, right? I mean, after Iowa and the margin of victory there, I, I mean, as you know, we have New Hampshire, then South Carolina. I mean, this is Trump's to lose at this point, right? So I actually think it's been over forever. Yeah. Um, I thought there was never there was there was never really a race, and I think once the Biden government started sifting through Melania's underwear drawer for state secrets, I thought that was pretty much official that he was at least going to get the nomination. Um, but it was really official when Ron DeSantis's campaign turned out to be so so terrible, historically bad. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Governor DeSantis as yeah. governor, and um, I, it's still breathtaking how many mistakes were made. What happened? I mean, what's what was what's he doing? You know, this is one where we could do 20 minutes. We could yeah. do an hour on this conversation. But he declared too late. Um, he missed opportunities, I think, to take bold stances that would get him positive attention. Um, him not rushing to Trump's defense when Trump was getting attacked by the uh, Biden government, I think, was a huge mistake. I think he exaggerated good parts of his record. I think he played down things that were also good parts of his record. I think he got some of it wrong, uh, the way he messaged about himself. Um, but overall, it's a lack of charisma. He He's just got no appeal to people. Uh, and I, I will say, guys, that he was the least communicative with Breitbart, which is that hmm. it's so it's just not smart. I'm not trying to be a braggart, but I mean, the primary is very hard to win GOP primaries if you're not going to get Breitbart on uh, at least uh, on board. He was a non-communicative, just terrible people in this communications department. All those people who are just tweeting mean things at everyone who disagreed with him all, all the time. Are you guys on Twitter enough to know that that was happening, that all these influencers were yeah. getting paid by the disabled? campaign to tweet horrible stuff to people who don't support him. It was so 
bizarre and obviously was never going to work. So it's very disappointing because he would have been my guy in 2028, and now I don't think that's going to happen um, at, at all. So uh, very sad there. But, yeah, but it's a Trump's the guy, and he's going to be in the driver's seat in the general election too. And and people don't like Nikki Haley in general, right? I mean, she's what is it with her? Well, Democrats do. Oh, yeah, that's Democrats right. love her. Hot damn, yeah, they can't get enough. That's right. The Democrat donor base likes her very much, and the old school Republican moneyed establishment likes yeah. her fine. Um, but the, the 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 key point, you actually, it's more profound than uh, you might even know to say people don't like her because that, that's the issue. If you poll her issues, Gallup, Rasmussen, whatever, you look at the stuff she's running on. She's not running on things the American people like. She's certainly not running on things people who vote in Republican primaries like. Yeah. But in general, the public is not into her issues. And the longer she runs, uh, we don't want open borders, and uh, we're not open-minded to the trans stuff, and we don't want to have wars all over the place, and we don't want to keep sending money to Ukraine. It, it's a, th- those are not issues. Her issues are not ones that are going to win her a primary. And it, it's, it, even if you hate Trump so much, there's just not enough people. Alex, what are you working on over at Breitbart? Uh, right now, I think the main thing is uh, following this primary. We're following Davos right now, uh, which is fascinating. There is a, a really interesting uh, narrative going on in Israel where Biden is not sufficiently pro-Israel, in our opinion, mm. but he's too pro-Israel for his base, which is devastating for him politically. That's another thing we're tracking right now. Uh, we're it, it is absolutely necessary for Georgia and Governor Kemp to start looking into Fannie Willis and her uh, the, the weird guy she's with who, and their clear corruption. Uh, there's so many big narratives going on. We're dunking on the media for all of their terrible ratings and failures and layoffs that are happening. Uh, it's a very hot time in the news, <laughs> yeah. and it's been a really cool January so far. Well, the uh, new edition of Alex Marlowe's New York Times bestseller, Breaking the News, out now in paperback. Alex, you've always been really good to us, man. Best of luck in the new year. Whatever you guys want, I'm around for you. Thanks, guys. Right now. I got some beers. Let's drink them, huh? Beers on sale, people. Come, Come down, down and get, get you some. some. Uh, brought to you by Thompson Furniture and Mattress in Columbus. Woo. Went a little long with Alex Marlowe, uh, the editor-in-chief of Breitbart, but we still have time for Beer Sample Friday. We better have time. Uh, here, I'm just going to give this t- right over here to you. Thanks to Shirley for dropping this oh, off. Oh, wow. Here it is. <laughs> we had a story basically a few months ago about uh, a brewery called Ultra Right Beer or something like that. Right. And uh, the portion of the proceeds going to the Donald Trump Defense Fund or something like that. <laughs> something ridiculous. But yes, they bought, there is, what's it called? Conservative Dad's Revenge with a picture of Donald Trump on the can. The world famous mugshot on this can of beer. It's called Conservative Dad's Revenge. Thanks to Shirley for dropping it off. Shirley, you're the best. Thank you. Mm, not bad. I'll take uh, it. I will drink that. Ah. There we go. We'll get a picture of this yeah, posted up on our Instagram. Follow us at Hammer and Nigel. Top stories coming up next.